Exploring the Word is brought to you by Reclaiming America for Christ and the Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond, Oklahoma. This is Pastor Paul Blair. Thank you for joining us for today's edition of Exploring the Word. Today we're going to be finishing this short series on Habakkuk 2.4, The Just Shall Live by Faith. And in particular today we're focusing on the tail end of that verse as we've already looked at justification, we've already looked at living by faith, and today we are finishing our look at faith itself. The just shall live by faith. We welcome you to the radio ministry of Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond. We invite you to join with us for today's Exploring the Word. Here's Pastor Paul Blair. We have no greater evidence now. With these scientific claims, we have no greater evidence than if Jesus descended from heaven right now and stood before you. In fact, we would probably have the same amount of believers and unbelievers if that very thing happened. Folks, scientifically, we know. They know. As you've heard me say before, there's not one single time where something came from nothing or life came from non-life. That's scientifically impossible. Yet all of evolutionary theory hangs on those two impossible presuppositions. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament showeth His handiwork. God has given us substance to prove that He exists. And the scientific account verifies the exact account given in the Bible. Robert Jastrow, again, let me quote, said this. Now this is hilarious. For the scientist who has lived by faith. Now notice their faith. They're a faith-based community too, aren't they? Their faith is in reason. As unreasonable as it is. For the scientist who has lived by faith in the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountains of ignorance. He is about to conquer the highest peak. And as he pulls himself over the final rock, he is greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries. Praise the Lord. Go ahead. This is great stuff. Blind faith, my foot. We have tangible, measurable, substantial evidence upon which to prove our faith in God. But Hebrews 11.1 says that there's also legal testimony, evidence of things that have not been seen. Well, where do we find this legal testimony? Of course, you know it's in the Word of God. And understand, that's one of the main reasons why we have it. Look at what John says. Now, this is one of the disciples, the longest living of the disciples. He wrote in the opening sentences of his first epistle, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and with our hands have handled of the word of life. They touched the resurrected Christ. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, And we bear witness and show unto Paul Blair. Go ahead and insert your name there. That's the purpose of this testimony. And it's shown unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. 
that which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you that you also may have fellowship with us. This letter is given to us. This is entered as legal evidence, legal testimony upon which to base our faith. And notice what was said in John chapter 20. After Thomas had doubted and said, I will not believe in the resurrected Christ until I can touch the nail prints in his hands. Well, what happened? Jesus stands right before him and said, go ahead, check me out, boy. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. But blessed is Blair in Fairview Baptist Church because they have not seen. Anybody seen Jesus walking around? Was it Jesus in Sunday school? Well, hopefully he was in Sunday school, but we were teaching about him. Anybody seen him today? No. They which have not seen and yet have believed and many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. Folks, this book is the book of God's testimony to mankind. How do you know that it's true? Well, folks... I'm going to share with you four, briefly, just for the sake of time, briefly, four evidences. And if we run out of time, we'll just pull the plug and crash land, but I'll show you enough evidences, I think, that are compelling. First of all, science in the Bible proves the Bible's true. Not just what I shared with you, but this is one of my favorite anecdotes, because it's so tangible and so measurable. Egypt was the cosmopolitan leader of the day 2,000 years before Christ. And despite their amazing abilities in engineering, you know, the pyramids and the sphinx and all these other things, the discovery in the last century of what was called the Ebers Papyrus bears convincing testimony of how inept they were in the field of medical science. The Ebers Papyrus was a 110-page scroll that we know was dated from around 1600 B.C., purchased by George Ebers in the late 1800s. It was, in fact, a medical manuscript documenting ancient Egyptian medical treatments and prescriptions for various diseases. This was cutting-edge medicine for Egypt. By the way, where was Moses raised as a prince? Egypt. Now, consider some of the treatment for various infections and diseases. If you had an infected splinter wound, you were to treat it by mixing worm blood and donkey dung and applying it to the wound. There's so many jokes here. There's, there's just so many Obamacare jokes here. You just don't even know where to begin. So I will just go right past them. But obviously we know now that this is insanity. But this was the Mayo Clinic in 1600 B.C. A remedy for constipation. Sisyphus bread, germa, cat's dung. We've got a cat. I guess we could check the litter box and open up our own pharmacy, couldn't we? Sweet beer and wine. I'm guessing you needed a lot of the sweet beer and wine before you got to the cat's dung. <laughs> For a painful sore, it was treated by a poultice of fly dung mixed with sycamore juice. Now, in the book Signature of God, authored by Grant Jeffries, 
He includes a list of common ingredients for cures that include dried excrement from a child. What was the deal with all the excrement? I mean, farmer's urine, lizard's blood. And by the way, what was so different between farmer's urine and anybody else's? Maybe it's the fresh air out there. I don't know. Or maybe you're breathing in all the aroma of the cow dung while you're out there on the farm. And lizard's blood, swine's teeth, putrid meat, stinking fat, moisture from pig's ears, goose grease, donkey's hooves, and various animal fats in a complete array of animal excrement. And by the way, this is established. This is not... They found the documents. This is the Mayo Clinic of the day. And remember, Acts 7 tells us this, that Moses grew up with this education. And Moses learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and in deeds. So what was Moses taught? Being that he lived there at this very period as a prince of Egypt. This is what he would have been taught. Now contrast that with the education Moses received at Mount Sinai. With the giving of the law. And recognize that we think of the law as purely religious. It was not. There were 613 different laws recorded there. It included all of governance for Israel. Much of it was religious. But much of it also uniquely was medical instruction. In fact, about a third of it was dealing with sanitation. As Moses was leading some 2 million people across the wilderness. And notice what the promise was in Exodus 15. Verse 26, if thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God and will do that which is right and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee which I have brought upon the Egyptians. For I am the Lord that healeth thee. Now folks, such things that we take for granted now weren't known then. You know, one of the laws in the Torah is that you were to build your latrine outside the camp. Well, that we would say, well, of course you're going to build your latrine outside the camp. That was unknown until approximately 1900. In fact, there were more deaths in war from diseases that were obtained from improper sanitation than there were from actually shooting each other up until about 1900. How did Moses know that 1600 years before Christ? Especially when all of medical science was saying you needed to use some sort of excrement in your treatment for diseases. How would Moses have known that? Obviously, the knowledge came from beyond Egypt and quite frankly from beyond medical knowledge until about 1900 A.D. How to deal with illness, how to deal with dead bodies, washing before eating, washing and disinfecting plates and bowls and utensils. You want to know why we have weddings in June? Because at one time it was thought that having too many baths was dangerous. And there were many that only had one bath a year. And when would you have it? When the water got warm enough to bathe. That's why there were June weddings. It was right after that annual bath. I'm serious. That's why the women carried flowers for the aroma. I'm dead serious. I'm not, I know half the things I tell you, but I'm serious. It is said that King James never bathed once in his life. Well, the castle had to smell really good, didn't it? And as I said a moment ago, in the 1860s, doctors didn't wash their hands between patients. 
They would handle a dead body and then go deal with a living one back to back. Doctors now know that's insanity. Well, of course it is. But 1,860 years after the birth of Christ, man hadn't figured that out yet. 1,600 years before the birth of Christ, Egypt hadn't figured that out. Yet somehow, Moses at Mount Sinai had that knowledge. How did he have it? The idea of quarantining the disease, disinfecting your home, your body, and your clothing. Folks, again, modern medical science wouldn't discover this for 3,500 years. How did Moses know? This completely contradicted everything that he was taught in Egypt. Well, I'll tell you how he knew. It's the Word of God. There is not another plausible explanation. Secondly, archaeology proves the Bible. Did you know that there have been over 25,000 sites discovered in the Holy Land because of the Bible? That's a pretty strong volume of testimony of its accuracy. As a matter of fact, Sir William Ramsey, who was the first professor of classical archaeology at Oxford. That's a pretty significant position, wouldn't you agree? Sir William Ramsey was a skeptic. As many were. It was popular in the 19th century. And he set out on a mission to disprove the Bible by disproving the book of Acts from a historical basis. Yet after years of research in Turkey and in Greece, Ramsey reversed his position and he became a born-again believer, wrote several books. Among them he stated this, I take the view that Luke's history is unsurpassed in regard to his trustworthiness. You may press the words of Luke in degree beyond any other historians and they stand the keenest scrutiny and the hardest treatment. Wow. In fact, how many times did historians attempt to discredit the Bible by saying, oh, we've never discovered any evidence of David outside the Bible. Certainly a king of Israel would have been shown somewhere and then they discover David. Oh, we never discovered any evidence of Solomon and then they discover Solomon. Oh, we never discovered any evidence of the Hittites and then they discover the Hittites. Everything they challenge the Bible on, they're ultimately proved that they're wrong and the Bible is right. I put one picture in here, Pontius Pilate. Of course, you know Pontius Pilate, the governor of Judea at this period of time for Rome. There was a considerable length of time. Well, one of the most convincing defenses was here in 1961. They said, well, we don't find evidence of a Pontius Pilate other than the Bible. Therefore, we've discredited it. Yet in doing the excavations around Caesarea Maritime, they found an inscription stone at the dedication of one of the major construction projects there that it was dedicated or a seat there with the name of Pontius Pilate engraved on it, the governor of Judea. Guess what? Once again, the Bible proved to be trustworthy and skeptics proved to be wrong. The Bible is, in fact, the Word of God. For the sake of time, I want to get to prophecy, proves the Bible, because we're running so far behind, but we'll finish on time. I will very quickly enunciate this. I was visiting with a rabbi in Israel. He's a member of the Knesset. This was probably 10 years ago. He was here in Oklahoma on a speaking tour. He's a member of the uh, Christian Allies Caucus, and he was speaking here in the state. And during the Q&A period, somebody raised their hand and asked this question. He said, is there one verse in the Bible that would prove that the Bible is true? And the rabbi said, no, not just one verse. He said, but I would mention one word that proves that the Bible is true. And he said this, Israel, the existence of Israel. Now, I'll give one illustration. Ezekiel 
I like Ezekiel because Ezekiel is very chronological. Some of the prophets are a little bit all over the place. Ezekiel is very chronological. But if Ezekiel goes through a message, a series of judgments in the middle of that book, and he talks to all the peoples that were in the Middle East at that time, and he calls them out by name, and he says, Ammonites, because of your disobedience and your hate of Israel, you're finished. Moabites, because of your hatefulness and disobedience, you're finished. Philistia, because of your actions, you're finished. Edom, you're finished. By the way, can anybody find Edom on the map? What about the uh, Ammonites? What about the uh, Moabites? No, they are finished, aren't they? By the way, at the time, 500 B.C., they were very prominent. God told Israel, I am going to wail the living daylights out of you. And I'm going to send you out of the land. You're going to be captives in all the nations of the world. But I'm not going to destroy you because I'm going to keep my promises to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and David. And I will, in the last days, bring you back. Look at some of these verses, just a few of them real quickly. Jeremiah 4.27 For thus hath the Lord said, The whole land shall be desolate, yet will I not make a full end of thee. Leviticus 26 And yet for all that, when they be in the land of their enemies, I will not cast them away, neither will I abhor them, to destroy them utterly, to break my covenant with them, for I am the Lord their God, but I will for their sakes remember the covenant of their ancestors. Psalm 94, for the Lord will not cast off his people, neither will he forsake his inheritance. Romans 11:2. God hath not cast away his people Israel, which he foreknew. Now, For almost 2,000 years, there was no Israel. Notice what Ezekiel said about Israel. He said, saying to them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will take the children of Israel from among the Gentiles, whither they be gone, and I will gather them on every side, and will bring them into their own land. And I will make them one nation in the land upon the mountains of Israel. And one king shall be king to them all. And they shall be no more two nations, Judah and Israel. Neither shall they be divided into two kingdoms any more at all. Neither shall they devile themselves any more with idols, nor with their detestable things, nor with any of their transgressions. But I will save them out of their dwelling places wherein they have sinned, and I will cleanse them, so they shall be my people, and I will be their God. And David, my servant, shall be king over them, and they all shall have one shepherd. They shall also walk in my judgments, observe my statutes, and do them. From the time that this was written by Ezekiel, where Israel was in unity with a descendant of the throne of David ruling over them. It has never happened. King Herod of the fame when Jesus was born was not a Jew. He was an Edomite. He was not of the house of David. He was a political appointee put in place by the Roman Senate. This has never happened. Now, for 1900 years there was no Israel. Now, for 1,900 years, you say, well, big deal, Pastor. There was no Edom either. There was no Moab either. There was no Ammon either. There was no Philistia either. Okay? I agree. Well, God said they were done. But God also said, I'm not going to turn my back on the promises I made to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and David. In the last days, I will bring Israel, notice what it says, back into the land. Haaretz, the land of Israel. Now, after almost 1,900 years, this people were not assimilated into other cultures. As the Edomites were, as the Moabites were, as the Ammonites were, the Jews always remained distinct. Even with the countless attempts to wipe them out, 
There's been no other people that has had more concentrated attempts to exterminate them as a race than the Jews have dealt with. Yet after 1900 years, on May the 14th, 1948, we see David Ben-Gurion reading this passage from Ezekiel. Now that's pretty neat in and of itself. Saying that this day God was beginning to fulfill his promises. Now not just this. Now is this pretty neat so far? Yeah, that's pretty. I mean, if I was a, a skeptic, I'd go, well, that's, wow, that's pretty long odds. Okay? But consider this. 2,500 years ago, Zechariah prophesied that Jerusalem would be the center focal point of the entire world that everybody was arguing over. Read here with me. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all people round about. And when they shall be in a siege, both against Judah and against Jerusalem, that is still yet coming. And in that day will I make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. All that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces, though all the people, all the people of the earth be gathered together against it. Joel 3 corroborates that. Revelation 19 corroborates that. Zechariah 14 corroborates that all the nations of the world will be coming against Jerusalem. Now here's what's interesting. At the time that this prophecy was given, the city of Jerusalem was in a shambles. The city had been destroyed in 587 B.C. It was now about 500 B.C. The people had been back in the land for about 15 years, or at least about 50,000 of them. Zechariah returned and wrote this prophecy long before, 75 years before Nehemiah came back to rebuild the city. So this was 75 years before Nehemiah came back to rebuild the walls of the city. And by the way, you remember when Nehemiah came to visit the city, he had to dismount his beast because there was still so much devastation that he couldn't even ride his animal around the walls of the city because it was still in complete and utter chaos. Okay, so 75 years before the city began to be rebuilt, Zechariah says in the last days, this city is going to be what the whole world's fighting over. Now think of how insane that was. It was still rubble for 75 more years. I mean, after a decade, people are probably going, well, Zechariah missed on that one. After 25 years, they're probably going, wow, he really, I guess you can't be right all the time. No, when you're a prophet, you can be right all the time. Now this didn't make any sense in that day. And it makes even less sense today. Look at the city of Jerusalem today. Beautiful city. Those of you that have been there know. But you know what? There is not one foreign consulate in Jerusalem because nobody recognizes that Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. It's just a city. You know, there's not even a major airport in Jerusalem. So why is Jerusalem so important? Where the United Nations in New York is all debating over whether they should build apartments on one side of Jerusalem. I mean, can you imagine if the United Nations were debating whether we should build an apartment complex out here on 10th and Western? And we'd be going, what's none of your business? Well, quite frankly, it's none of our business there either. But isn't it interesting that 2,500 years ago, God said to the prophet Zechariah, in the last days, everybody is going to be fighting over Jerusalem. At that time, there was no Jerusalem. It was rubble. On top of that, says in Joel 3 what God's going to chastise them for. Notice what it says here in verses 1 and 2. Behold the days and that time when I shall bring again the captivity of Judah and Israel, and I will also gather all nations and bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat. 
and will plead with them there for my people and for my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and parted my land. God is going to punish the Gentile nations because they scattered Israel and divided the land. Do you know what they're fighting over right now? What do you hear Obama talking about? We want to go back to the 1967 borders. You know what that is? He's trying to divide the land of Israel. I mean, folks, is this more than a coincidence? I mean, Joel 3, Zechariah 14, Revelation 19, Zechariah 12. All the nations of the world are going to be fighting over Jerusalem, trying to divide the land. You got that? 2,500 years later, we have the United Nations. Hello? Anybody home? Fighting over Jerusalem and trying to divide the land of Israel. The Bible is true, ladies and gentlemen. Science proves that it's true. We heard atheist science say, creation, we just don't believe in a creator. Supernatural, we just don't believe in that supernatural being. That's what science leads you to. We have substance and we have evidence. We have the Word of God which stands inspection. And we also have this little place right here just north of Jerusalem. <laughs> Boy, this one causes more problems than anything. You know, the Jews 2,000 years ago thought they had had this problem with this Jesus of Nazareth taken care of. We finally got him killed. Finally got him stuffed in a tomb. We don't want the disciples to perpetuate this myth. So, Pilate, we need Roman guards to seal the tomb. You got it. Remember, you don't have to guard it forever. Just that third day. If they could have produced the body on the fourth day, then Christianity would be non-existent. They had stolen him three weeks afterwards. Well, who cares? Jesus specifically said, I'm only going to be in there for 72 hours. So they just had to guard it for that 72 hours. And history outside the Bible. You could do away with the Bible. Not a good decision. But if you didn't have the Bible, there is enough in history to substantiate everything about Jesus. Including his life, his baptism, his miracles... The miracles are substantiated in extra-biblical evidence. His crucifixion led by Pontius Pilate outside Jerusalem. And the fact that the tomb was empty. Now they don't say what happened to it. But we know the tomb's empty. It still is. We do not have blind faith. God just expects us to trust Him when he has given us such an overwhelming amount of substance and evidence with which to convince us that we can put our trust and faith in him. The just shall live by faith. We thank you for joining us for today's edition of Exploring the Word, and we look forward to being with you next time. Until then, may God bless you. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond. We hope that today's journey in God's Word has been a blessing to you. 
You can find more sermons and resources at our church's website, www.fairviewbaptistedmond.org or call 405-348-1745. Join us again each weekday for Exploring the Word from Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond.